Well, Rick Pitino does not care for your scholarship limits as he adds yet another player to his first roster as the head coach at St. John's in Chris Ledlam. What does this mean for the Johnnies and what does it mean for the Big East? Let's discuss. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, folks, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton. Happy Friday out though out there. I am thrilled to be joined today by Tristan Freeman. Tristan is the site editor over at Busting Brackets, a longtime college basketball analyst. Very excited to have him back on the show. Not his first time here with us on Locked On College Basketball. And we got a great show here. We're going to talk about St. John's, Rick Pitino, Chris Ledlam, adding the player, the, I was going to say former Tennessee player, I guess, former Harvard player who spent a little bit of time uh, with the Vols at Tennessee. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to just talk about uh, Rick Pitino and St. John's in general, what his, uh, what him being back in the Big East means for the conference. We're going to close out the show talking about the A-10 and a couple of coaching additions or coaching changes there and what it might mean for that conference. But Tristan, we got to start with the big news, and it was kind of expected as soon as we heard that Chris Ledlam was actually not going to go to Kentucky, to Tennessee. Uh, he committed there early after uh, entering the transfer portal really early, as soon as the season ended, goes to Tennessee, spends a few months there. Josiah Jordan-James comes back. Maybe he feels like there's not enough playing time there, enters the portal, and everybody said, look, he's going to go to St. John's. He's from Brooklyn. He's a New York guy. Rick Pitino is going to do what Rick Pitino does. And sure enough, a couple of days later, we find out that Ledlam is, in fact, going to St. John's. Were you surprised by this? Is this what you expected? And and kind of how do you, how do you feel about the, the fit for him at St. John's? Yeah, so I, I think for if you're Ledlam, the ability to come back to St. John's, basically hometown, uh, compared to likely coming off the bench at Tennessee, as you mentioned with Josiah Jordan James coming back, who was a four-year starter there, then did did it make perfect sense because doing you know, a whole bunch of newcomers is basically Joel Soriano and transfers from all over the place to Matt the Mac and Ivy League. So not only does Letlam have a chance to, to, to will likely start there as he come back home, but he's going to be in a national spotlight because all the attention is going to be on the. And if you're you're a guy like Letlam who wants to have more more of a national role, because let's be honest, you're not going to get too much attention of the Ivy League the way that they yeah. run things. Then, then 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 it's really going to be a no-brainer for them. And you know, as uh, talked about it before, Rick Pitino is going to use not only every scholarship but even the walk-ons available mm-hmm. because they they they're, they're past thirteen. And thanks to NIL, they're they're now in a situation where they can give walk-ons basically scholarship money that, with, with NIL and. He's clearly taking advantage of it and and good for him, quite frankly. Absolutely. I'm with you 100%. I think this is uh, it's I I get that fans are frustrated when you get a player who commits to your program, who spends a few months as a player committed to your program and then leaves. And I know that there's probably some some animosity for some Tennessee fans towards Patino and and St. John's. But with Jordan James coming back, it felt like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to go start for a potential top 25 team in my hometown or in my home state like that's a really really hard opportunity for anybody to pass up and especially a player of the caliber of Chris Ledlam and now you have him and Joel Soriano that's going to make a really really solid front court especially when you have some really high level scores coming into the program in Dennis Jenkins and Jordan Dingle like 
it feels to me like Patino's, I mean, it's hard to gauge how, how this is all going to shake out because the entire roster is brand new, but man, it, it sure feels like uh, this is, he's building towards something that could be really, really impressive uh, in, in New York next year. Yeah. I mean, you have four guys who's averaging at least 15 points at the previous spots. So it was Soriano at average over 15 last season as well. So there's going to be a ton of offensive firepower. And that doesn't even include, you know, the Oregon State transfer, Glenn Taylor, mm-hmm. who was a second leading scorer, RJ Luis, who, who I, I think felt like a breakout candidate mm-hmm. as a sophomore. We'll see how his minutes shake up, but he's mm-hmm. someone that can get there. You know, uh, Wilcher is a top 40 prospect. He, he's someone that should find a way in rotation. So, Offensively, there, there there's a ton to go there. I, I think the one concern though is to shoting, because mm-hmm. Letlum was a, is a career thirty percent shooter, and that's not really his his skill. He's more a face to the basket kind of guy. Soriano and the big man, he doesn't shoot at all. So mm-hmm. if you have if those two are your front court, then you're going to have to rely on the guards. And you know uh, Jenkins, uh, he shot thirty six percent at Iona last year, but was bad when he was at Pacific. He's not really a, a pure shooter. Dingle, high volume, around 34%. We'll see how that translates. Uh, Taylor was around, was under 30% as well. So there's not a ton of, of three-point shooting. So there could be some spacing concerns. And I do wonder how Letlow, who's a six-foot-six, he's a combo forward, but he's, he's going to be a bit undersized at the four. He's a little slow at the three when it comes to guard and more natural wings and even three-guard lineups. So it's not a guarantee that Letlow's going to, be successful at the Big East level, maybe mm-hmm. at maybe at a high level. He's probably not going to be an 18-7 guy, but mm-hmm. if you can get 12-6 and six out of him at the four and sort of solidify that position, then that's all you can ask for if you're the Red Storm. Well, we, we joke about Patino just seeming to add an unlimited amount of players, but it does seem to come at, at least at a little bit of a cost. I know that he's able to to kind of make, make things work with some some money tossed out to guys who are walk-ons. But shortly after Ledlam committed to St. John's or after it was reported he was going to come there, uh, Quinn Slazinski enters the transfer portal, a guy who followed Patino from Iona, uh, comes to St. John's, ends up leaving the program. There was kind of some conversation about that I mean he followed his coach and then ends up leaving it kind of looks a little uh, suspicious did he get pushed out etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, I, I don't feel too bad for Slazinski because he ends up in the Big 12 at West Virginia that was announced very shortly before we hit the record button here uh, with Tristan and, and obviously West Virginia a team that is, is looking for talent wherever they can find it after a, a distressing offseason that led to them losing Trey Mitchell and losing Mo Wagee. And it looks like they're going to lose Jose Perez as well uh, and a couple others as well. And so for them to just get a guy who, you know, was a two year starter or a two year player at Louisville, uh, averaged 11.3 and 5.7 boards at Iona last year feels like a, a, a nice get for Josh Elert uh, over at West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, if you're uh, Zlazinski, this probably worked out best for you because yeah. I think as soon as they added both Louise and Taylor, there's a chance that his minutes were already cut to begin with mm-hmm. because he's a former four-star guy. He didn't play much in Louisville. Mm-hmm. He was he was mediocre in his first full year at Iona. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we have someone like Nellie Jr. Joseph taking over in front court. Your, your, your playing time's going to be limited. He was good in the first uh, seven, eight games this past season before suffering an injury. So we're still not 100% certain that he's going to be an effective pa- uh, a power conference player. Mm-hmm. But if you're West Virginia, beggars can't be choosers. Right. They don't have Trey Mitchell. And the power forward position ha- in the past couple of years in the portal has sort of been the uh, of the least supply. Mm-hmm. So if you need a, a four-man – 
there's, there really was never much to begin with, and there's certainly not much now. So mm-hmm. if you can guess Lazinski, who is a capable at least body at mm-hmm. the D one level, then 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 then, then you're in a solid position, especially because Jesse Edwards is going to be the focal point anyway. So you just need someone that can soak up minutes at the four spot. He's capable. He's a one-year, he's likely a one-year rental guy, assuming he doesn't get the medical red shirt. So West Virginia, it's a good move for him. And plus, I wouldn't be so certain that Jose Perez is gone just yeah. yet. Because, because you know, his recruitments has been very funny in mm-hmm. the past few years. And it's a situation where if NIL comes into play, if you're a Michigan or a Gonzaga and there's potentially a number out there, mm-hmm. are you necessarily willing to pay it compared to West Virginia, who certainly still needs some back? Mm-hmm. So who knows? It could be a situation where with uh, four with three scholarships left to deal with, maybe they can find a way to get Perez back because they certainly could need him on the wing. They got room and they still got creases back. Edwards is, is didn't leave uh, Raekwon battles there. I could see a, a, certainly a situation where, where Perez does return to West Virginia. Well, Rick Pitino has not even coached a game yet and already the buzz is palpable in New York. Can this team make some real noise in the big East next season? Before we get into that though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor eBay motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure that every single player is a perfect fit. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check mark to know the part will fit. Or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride! eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, and exclusions apply. All right, folks. Thank you all for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. We appreciate all of you everyday listeners there in mid-July on the Locked On College Basketball podcast. We got fantastic stuff coming your way next week. Some fun interviews lined up with some coaches, some players, uh, all sorts of good stuff coming your way on Locked On College Basketball with myself and Isaac Shade. For now, though, me and Tristan are going to continue our conversation about Rick Pitino, St. John's, and the very, very exciting Big East Conference. Tristan, I want to keep our conversation on St. John's and talk a little bit more broadly about this, everything that has happened with this program. Certainly there was some conflict about firing the coach in the first place and then bringing in Rick Pitino. He's back in the the Big East, of course, where he really made a name for himself uh, in the 1980s with Providence. And and, uh, it it really feels like there's a lot of buzz around St. John's right now. Understandably, you completely overhaul your roster in a way that historically is unprecedented it's basically impossible to do this until we're in the modern kind of transfer portal era and now we see this team with a bunch of newcomers tough to project what it's going to look like but we're hearing some top 25 buzz already for st john's some hey they're going to finish in the top five in the big east and look i I think there's a lot of optimism around this team but i'm looking at the big east and i'm looking at a, a uconn team that is still going to be really good a marquette team that brings back almost everybody except omax prosper a xavier team that you know, lost some talent, but it's still going to be good. Creighton's going to be fantastic. Like, 
I think St. John's has a chance to do some damage, but man, this is still a really good conference. I'm, I'm curious uh, where you're at temperature wise with St. John's right now in the big East. Well, I mean, you could be top five in the big East and still be top 20 national. Right. That, that's how good the top is if, for, for the big East, as you mentioned, UConn did just fine despite losing Adama Snogo, Jordan Hawkins. They bring in Cam Spencer for records. Donovan Klingon, I think, is going to be like everyone's consensus number one breakout sophomore Mm -hmm. star. So they're going to be fine. Marquette brings back everyone except for Omax, and his replacement is going to be the biggest six-man of the year, David Joplin. Mm -hmm. So they're effectively going to bring everyone back to Creighton, you know, they, they bring back arguably, I think, the three best players. Mm-hmm. And then they have one of the best shooters in the country, Stephen Ashworth, going into Greg McDermott's system. So they're going to be good, too. So even if St. John's isn't in the top three, it's certainly mm-hmm. going to be no shame. And, and I think ultimately, if you're in a program, it's not even about where you stay in the Big East. It's just getting back to the tournament and reestablishing yourself as a credible national program, getting back mm-hmm. to the tournament, possibly making some noise, not just the first four you know, as they did in the last time they got there. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be fine and getting these big names, especially those who, who come from New York, because if you, you have to retain, if you're mm-hmm. St. John's to top local uh, stars, this it, it's already been a successful off season. And with Rick Pitino, who considering all the guys you uh, coaches you've lost mm-hmm. is top 10 in the sport. There's no yeah. reason why they're not going to at, at least be, a contender in the top half of the league. Yeah. And I think it's interesting about Patino because he's always been, he's always been a good recruiter. Like this has always been a, a huge strength of his. And there was some question of like, what is it going to look like for him in the transfer portal era? It's different. You know, it's not, it's, recruiting is not like it was in the mid 1980s at Providence. Like it has changed dramatically, but at the end of the day, like, Patino did what he is good at, which is brought in a premier amount of talent to this program. And now the question becomes, what does it look like with him as a coach? Because he's also pretty darn good at the X's and O's. Like that's another element of his game of his, you know, that's the reason that he's on those top 10 lists, top five lists, you know, and I think we look at this roster and it's, you know, you mentioned some of the potential flaws. There's some shooting concerns, the, you know, not a lot of maybe some floor spacing issues that, that could come into play. But I'm kind of curious if, if for St. John's to have a successful season, like making the NCAA tournament is, is that enough is getting booted in the play in game, like considered a good year. Do they need to go a little bit farther than that? Like kind of, where do you see kind of the expectations, which are dramatically shifted from a year ago? I mean, in a, in a significant way, do you think uh, they're kind of in a spot where it's, it's tournament or bust this year, or were they just happy to, to improve from last year? It's tournament or bust because of the additions you made when yeah. you bring in one of the top four scores in the country and Jordan Dingle, yeah. you bring in, you bring in let this late in the off season. And mm-hmm. had they added let say in, in April, it would have been a nice pickup, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been, you know, huge. But right. now at this point, you know, all, all the, the marquee pickups in July get a little mm-hmm. extra boost. Yeah. And then when you bring back Soriano, who was quietly one of the best big men in college basketball, mm-hmm. It's a roster, especially when you can give Patino the respect he deserves. There's no reason why they don't make the tournament. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's there is no uh, rebuilding process, so mm-hmm. to speak. Like you have a bunch of young guys and you try to improve over time. This is a veteran roster that's ready to win and, and should win, and mm-hmm. you're going to have all the opportunities possible to build up a resume. So if they don't do it, then something went wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you have Rick Patino. 
that's not going to be acceptable. Like maybe right. maybe with the previous coaches you had there, you can make an excuse, but mm-hmm. there really is none now. Yeah, I, I mean, Patino didn't come didn't come to St. John's to gradually rebuild the program. He, he he's old. Like I mean, he's he's an older coach. He's probably not going to be doing this forever. I mean, I think he's going to do it until he is absolutely forced to not do it anymore. But again, you you don't take over a program in your seventies. Uh, and get back into the Big East, the conference that you kind of helped, frankly, build into the powerhouse that it became. Uh, you don't take that job if you want to just slowly meander through. Like he, he took the job to to turn this thing around in year one, and and the way that he chose to do that was to literally overhaul an entire roster, and that kind of rankled some feathers. I think uh, college basketball and college football are both. I think the fan bases are, are adjusting to how much turnover there is year over year. We're used to these sports. Uh, having guys in the program for two, three, four years, pretty regularly, pretty consistently. That's no longer the case at, at a huge chunk of programs and, and you, coaching changes tend to, to lead to more turnover, but you know, this is pretty unprecedented. And you kind of mentioned that Patino's targeting New York guys. And I suspect that that part of that is he doesn't want this to necessarily be how it happens every single year. I think if, if this year doesn't go well for St. John's, uh, I think Patino might be willing to once again make some some dramatic moves. And if he needs to cut uh, four or five, six different guys or rearrange the roster, he will. But I'm getting the impression that his hope is that this is a one-year like complete reset, completely rebuild, tear it down to the studs, start it over again with the hope that he doesn't have to keep doing that going forward. Is that kind of the impression you're getting here? It, well, I think everyone in the COVID era has to be old as possible because yeah. it's, because all the rosters are old. So mm-hmm. so outside of Kentucky, when you have a bunch of five star freshmen, mm-hmm. you you have to go the veteran route. And these are all guys who have one year left. So Soriano, mm-hmm. Jenkins, Letlam, and, and Dingle are going to be leaving no matter what. Right. So the, unless you believe that Taylor and Louise and uh. Sean Conway can can step into higher roles, then he's going to go back into a portal. And the, the, the hope is that you're good enough to where people can willingly come to you early on in the offseason. You can just get them immediately. Mm-hmm. If you have, if you have it, and you know, maybe a Max A. Smith is probably too extreme an example, but those types of guards who's available next offseason, then why not go get them? It's mm-hmm. either that or risk going for a, fre- a freshman in a class where people don't think highly of in 2024. I think next right. year is going to be automatically transfer heavy because people don't want to have too many of those kinds of freshmen. Yeah. I, I want one more question on this topic before we switch over to the A-10 uh, to close out the show. Tristan, I want to talk about Patino's legacy a little bit and, and really just kind of him getting back into the Big East. And, you know, there was so many conversation about the death of the Big East and Louisville obviously played a factor in that perceived death of the conference. I think that the last couple of years have proven pretty definitively that the Big East is fine. Uh, and obviously, UConn winning a championship is a huge boost for that. But Marquette was phenomenal this year. Creighton was fantastic, et cetera, et cetera. And now you add this really huge college basketball personality back into the conference. You have, uh, the, for the first time in conference history, you have a coach switch schools within the conference uh, at Georgetown with Ed Cooley. And it just feels like the Big East is is primed for what should be a very kind of dramatic and really, I think, top heavy, but but overall really talented season. And it feels like Patino jumping back into the mix. It kind of feels fortuitous at the perfect time to really kind of mix back in with what should be a really kind of intense, competitive Big East season next year. Yeah, had, had Dan Hurley not won the national title, Patino's presence would have loomed large over all of them because mm-hmm. – 
none of them have made a final four. Like we've right. been waiting for well, outside of Shocker Smart with, with that mm-hmm. run at VCU, mm-hmm. but we haven't had that big run yet from McDermott. We, we've yeah. seen you know, Coley hasn't made that run yet. Hurley mm-hmm. before last tournament was people were wondering, could he get the job done? Because yeah. UCAR wasn't able to even win a tournament game yet. Mm-hmm. So the, the the coaching hierarchy is as strong in the Big East as, as it is in the Big 12 and SEC. Mm-hmm. Patino just makes it stronger, and he's already a, a national champion. And now that he doesn't have any sanctions or probations yep. and stuff to deal with, now we're going to see, okay, now that he has you know a roster, a power conference roster that can compete nationally, what is he going to do? And if he has a big first year, I don't see why he can't be around for several years to sort of make his mark as truly one of the top top tier four or five coaches in the game. Well, Patino's not the only new coach in the Big East. Certainly Kim English taking over at Providence was a, a big story with Providence losing Ed Cooley to Georgetown. And I don't want to talk about Providence, though. I want to talk about the school that Kim English came from, which is George Mason. Uh, George Mason and VCU both uh, very, very solid A-10 programs last year. Both lose their head coaches. Of course, VCU loses Mike Rhodes to Penn State. Uh, they bring in Ryan Odom from Utah State, uh, whereas uh, George Mason sticks kind of with a, a hometown guy in Tony Skin. And, and you wrote a great article over at Busting Brackets. I'll link it in the show notes for those of you listening right now. And, and uh, kind of talking about these two programs, sort of one flew under the radar and George Mason, they made some nice additions, but it wasn't super splashy. Whereas with VCU, uh, the head coaching hire was a bit splashier and Ryan Odom, they brought some guys over from Utah state and, you know, had the more successful year last year, but uh, you kind of talked up uh, some of the moves that George Mason made. And I kind of love to hear your thoughts on, on the direction that program is in with the new coach and Tony skin. Yeah. I, I think at the start of the off season, VCU, loses Mike Rhodes, replaces him with with with, uh, with Odom, mm-hmm. you could argue that it was an upgrade for them. And, yeah. and, and the results came where, where they added not only just guys from a tournament team in Utah mm-hmm. State, but a few other big pieces that from local areas. So mm-hmm. VCU fans were obviously happy. But George, but George Mason, as expected, was slow because yeah. they, they, they lose everyone after Kim English is gone. And they, you bring in an assistant, and, and even though Tony Skin obviously has high uh, credentials mm-hmm. with, with the Patriots because he left them to a Final Four, he, he's not able to just naturally bring in everyone immediately like, like Odom was able to. So it was slower, but and, and there are also pieces that aren't that don't stick out. You know, Keyshawn Hall was a guy who averaged uh, four and a half points at UNLV as a freshman. Mm-hmm. But he played limited minutes, and when he was on the court, he looked really good. He's someone that could be a breakout star in the in the A10. You you add guards from the mid major ranks. You look at Jalen Haynes, who who's 14 points per game at East at East Tennessee State. You look at Jared Phillips, who's another guard. They, they have a lot of pieces that are solid, and mm-hmm. and solid pieces can win in the A10. It can make you competitive, and the goal for them. It is to just avoid the bottom. You want to have good momentum. You want to be able to say, hey, we're, we're competitive and be more appealing for the future prospects that can come in. And they've already and they've already landed a couple of nice 2024 prospects as well. And assuming that skin's going to, you know, keep his ties in the DMV area, I, I think George Mason won't take as long to, to get back into the mix. Mm-hmm as expected because once you saw what VCU did, the I think some would argue that they could be the team to beat, mm-hmm. assuming Joe Bamasil is eligible uh to play next year. 
while George Bates is supposed to take a little longer. I don't think it will take as long for the Patriots, and I think they're going to be in good spot. And in A-10, that's going to have a lot of changes going forward starting next season because the hierarchy so it, it, on paper has certainly changed. Yeah, and that's that's a perfect segue, my friend, into kind of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, the A-10 had six 20-plus win teams last year. Uh, VCU was was fantastic last season, and obviously we talked about uh, bringing in a coach that's arguably an improvement and, and a team that could be really, really good once again next year. But you also had Fordham, Dayton, St. Louis, George Mason, and Duquesne all had really productive seasons. And there's a lot of talent that that left the conference. I know Yuri Collins is out the door. Dayton's lost a significant amount of talent as well. And, and uh, it feels like there's, there's going to be a handful of really good teams, but it's almost not as certain who's going to be at the top of the pecking order. Do you feel like VCU is still the team to beat? Do you think that there's some other squads in there that, that, that might take a step forward and, and maybe challenge for, for a championship in the A-10 next year? Yeah, I think as soon as Deron Holmes announced that he was coming back, yeah, he, he was, he was, you know, I, I think you could argue that he was even better of an impactful guy at Ace Baldwin. Mm-hmm. But since BCU finished ahead of date, you had to give Baldwin the A-10 player of the year award. But right. he's back. All the guards were back for Dayton. All of them were hurt. Malachi mm-hmm. Smith, Kobe Brea, Kobe Elvis, they all were hurt throughout the year, which which limited what they could do. If they're back healthy and you add RMU transfer uh Enoch Cheeks, mm-hmm. they're they're going to be real. They're going to be really good. But after them, you look at a team like St. Joe's brings back all their key guards and and Cam Brown, Eric mm-hmm. Reynolds, who and Eric Reynolds averaged twenty a game last year. They're going to be one of the best uh, scoring teams in the country. The question is, can they defend? And and, and look out for a seven foot retro freshman Chris Asandro. If he can give them that interior defense, then. The Hawks could end up being a team that surprises people. And then Duquesne, from a team that I cover locally in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. they're one of the oldest teams in the country. They have seven guys who's in their last year of eligibility wow. as a fifth as a fifth or sixth-year transfer. They're going to be extremely old. They bring back mm-hmm. Day-Day Grant and Trey Clark, and Trey Clark was one of the top defenders in the league as well. You're, you're, you see teams that aren't usually at the top, but on paper – St. Joe's, Duquesne, even Fordham, who who brought in a lot of talent as well and seemed to have this winning culture uh, going on the past couple of years, they're going to be a team that's competitive. And then uh, Lawyer Chicago, they were last place in their debut league, but they're, they're a proud program that is not going to be down for long. They had a great offseason with their additions. I wouldn't be surprised if they go from 15th to, to 4th or 5th and compete for a double by. So it, it, it's going to be there's definitely going to be somewhat of a down year when it comes to the traditional powers, mm-hmm. but it could legitimately be a free for all with some of these teams that don't normally compete have the best chance that they've had in a long time to sort of win the A-10 and get that loan bid for the NCAA tournament. A-10 is one of my favorite conferences that I feel never gets enough love. And Tristan, I appreciate that you're out there banging the drum for the A-10, writing about them, talking about them. I think it helps get some exposure to a league that I think is a, a bit underrepresented nationally. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show overall, talk about Patino, talk about St. John's and the A-10. Always, always a blast to have your expertise and insight on the show. So thank you. No, thank you, Andy, for having me. I appreciate it. And we're over halfway there to the end, to the start of next season. And it's almost time for preview. 
We are almost in preview season. That's a great segue as well, because that's coming up soon on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Not quite yet, but we are getting there. It's going to be a lot of fun to get into those preview seasons. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to make Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. And looking forward to catching up with you all next week. For now, though, peace out.